Welcome to Classical Education, a podcast for those who believe in rediscovering the art of asking questions, engaging in conversation, and attending to the ideas at the heart of well-ordered teaching and learning. I invite you to join me on a journey in pursuit of the true, the good, and the beautiful as a participant in the great conversation and listen to the many voices coming from the world of classical education. Many of you know that this podcast is produced by Beautiful Teaching. Today's guest has just joined the Beautiful Teaching Consulting Team. Mark Signorelli currently serves as headmaster at Lumen Gentium Academy, a classical Catholic school located in New Jersey, and he has over 20 years of experience as an educator. He's also written extensively for a wide variety of journals, his own site, The Classical Corner, and has authored several books. Through Beautiful Teaching, Mark is offering a few two-hour sessions this summer on teaching history classically, as well as a session on mimetic mimetic approach to poetry. These courses are open for registration now. Visit our registration page at beautifulteaching.coursestorm.com, beautifulteaching.coursestorm.com. Enjoy the show. Down with the research paper is an essay that Mark wrote that captured my attention. He says, a good writer is one who is conversant with his sources, who thinks about life's perennial mysteries alongside them and invites his reader into the polyphonous discussion he is already undertaking with his sources. A good high school writing assignment is one that invigorates such a discussion. We do not want our students to write about books, but to write about life using books to expand and synthesize their thoughts. How far removed is the ubiquitous research paper from any such conception? Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Adrian. It's great to be here. Today, what we're going to talk about is two of your essays that you've written that I have read a few times and I think are quite provocative and uh, important for our listeners to um, have an experience with. So we're going to walk through a couple of these essays and hopefully our listeners will visit your sub stack, sign up and and read your brilliant papers that I think are such a blessing. So the first article is called Down with the Research Paper. And the second is called Some Principles for a Classical Writing Program. And I love both of these. Uh, I think both of them I actually did post on our Facebook group at some point because I loved them when I read them. Um, but this first essay, Down with the Research Paper, the title is quite provocative, and the message is somewhat as well. It, it definitely captured my attention, and so it may be hard for some people to swallow. Uh, the second one, I think, is a bit more palatable as it lends itself towards a poetic emphasis towards writing. But my first question in this research paper topic is to ask you to tell us more about your thesis and reason for writing an essay that essentially condemns the research paper. Yeah, sure. So I, I think um, the the simple answer to that, uh, as, as the simple answer to why I wrote a, uh, an essay condemning the research papers, I, I had to teach the damn thing for so many years. Um, and it, it, it drove me crazy, it drove my students crazy, uh, and it drove me crazy to drive my students crazy. Um, and and I um, and I suppose that it was a long seat, long um, held grudge uh, against that the assignment that, that got expressed in that in that essay. Um, I, I think the 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 experience of teaching the, the research paper was an experience of not providing our students with with what they needed. Right? It was a, it was a kind of strange experience uh, to be you know talking about the the niceties of MLA format, right? Um, or you know, telling my my students about the the proper um, margins for a you know a block quote, uh, you know, and, and and teaching that to to rooms full of students who who had yet to gain command of the structure of an English sentence, right? Um, and it did seem uh, in many ways to be a a, a clear cut case of, of misplaced priorities, right? That we had lost sense of what was was fundamental and and were were really kind of um, focused on the peripheral, uh, but in a in a kind of general way. Um, the um, the approach of uh, of research, the the very conception of research, as as time went on, um, became more and more um, 
foreign to to what I thought uh, I was trying to do as a teacher and what um, what I was doing myself as a writer in my own writing um, and what I would was calling or, or um, inviting my our, our students uh, to do in their own studies. Um, the, the research paper is is uh, kind of a, a a hallmark or staple of uh, of high school curricula um and it's it's generally um if not universally uh justified on the grounds that this is the the kind of writing that students are going to do in college right that this mm -hmm. is academic writing um that we are preparing them um for their 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 future academic careers um when they when they move to college this is the kind of writing that they're going to take uh that they're going to be uh required to um produce and so the the, the basic thesis of that um of that article is that you know as classical educators that's not you know preparing students for college is not the end all be all of the purposes of, of what we're trying to do right we i mean we and, and you and we have to you know you always have to be clear and 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 um and qualify that that statement right it's not to say that we don't think that our our the, the education we're offering is going to prepare students for college in fact i think we're we're all um confident that our students come out way better prepared uh for for academic work um future academic work than, than students in, in comparable programs uh, but it's, it's it that happens almost as, as a kind of byproduct or side effect of of right. what what we're doing right it's not that it's not the main we're trying we're, we're trying to prepare them for life and and the totality of life which includes um future academic work um so so since we when we, we don't take college preparation to be the end-all be-all of um of the ends of the the education that we're trying to provide, um, the the research paper, which has its 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 justification in exclusively in that um, in that purpose, um, ought not to to provide the model for for a classical writing program, right? Since the, those purposes um, are not our purposes, are not the, the entirety of our, of our purposes. The research paper um, does not really serve our purposes. Mm -hmm. So so if in a classical uh, school college is not really the focus, right? Um, how how do you think that this goal, that, or I think you said these misplaced priorities, <laughs> this is a big misplaced priority. How do you, how do you think that um, this focus, which I know a lot of parents will send their kids to classical schools because they'll think it's going to prepare them for college, the same idea. So how does that goal influence the curricular choices and the pedagogy of an English class? And why should the classical tradition reject that goal? Yeah, I think so. In the first, I mean, I, to to make a qualification, I, the 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 question, the issue is complicated by the fact that that our colleges are a mess, right? I mean, to to, to put mm -hmm. put it politely, um, you know, because our our colleges are um, not teaching um, in in any our students of any anything of substance, right? Um, because they they have have lost sight of their goals, their own goals, um, so. So thoroughly, um, it, it, it the the idea of of, of having the, the the preparation of our students for college um, as a as a primary goal um, seems seems less and less relevant to, to what we're doing. Right? If we're, if we're talking about like sending students off to study um, with John Witherspoon at Princeton, um, I might be I'm willing to concede that that college preparation might be something more um, that we would, that we would be willing to to. to um, encompass in our um in our curricular goals but um but that's that's just not the case but put, but putting that aside i mean so um what's what scholars do what professors do what um scholarship looks like at you know at the um at the level of academia is primarily writing about other writing right you you know a scholar goes back to the sources goes back to the literature and 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 writes about it all right um you know and, and that's kind of uh the the basic task that's that's involved in scholarship um and i suppose the you know the, the basic departure that i um am suggesting is that um, we don't want students at, at a high school level, and, and certainly before that, writing primarily about other writing. We want them writing about life, right? Um, we want them writing um, about human experience um, and using other writing to enhance uh, their ability to do that, to, to carry out that task. Um, but the, but the, the task is uh, contemplating and um, ruminating upon experience itself, all right? Uh, so... Um, you know, it, the, the basic model for, uh, for high school instruction, right? The basic response, um, to, to, to reading that students do 
in writing, right, or, or the basic relationship between reading and writing that obtains um, in, in a non-classical school um, is effectively analytical, right? Mm -hmm. So students read a piece of writing, all right? They read a poem, let's say, and then they're asked to analyze that poem. They're to say what that, that poem is about, all right? Mm -hmm. Tell you know, analyze the figures of speech that are used here. Uh, explain how you know Shakespeare uses metaphor to um, express a platonic conception of love, or some, something along those lines, right? So the, the response to reading a, a a work of literature is to write about that work of literature, right? Um, and that is completely non-classical, right? That is a completely yep. non-classical approach, right? If if um, yep. if classical education aims to recapture the 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 let's say mainstream tradition of Western pedagogy and appropriate for our own times, right? Well, if you go back to that tradition, that is not at all the way students were taught to respond to to writing, to, to, right. read, to reading, right? Right. Um, they they were they were invited to respond to the reading um, that they did by imitating it, right? Not writing about the things that they read, but writing the kinds of things that they read. Right. So, you know, a student would spend hours poring over um, the uh, the Georgics or the eclogues of Virgil. Right. And then they would try their hand at some Latin hexameters. Right. They would do the sort of thing that Virgil was doing. Right. Or they would read a, a speech by Cicero and then they would give a speech of their own, employing the same kind of rhetorical techniques that Cicero had employed. Right. They, they did the sort of things that those writers were doing. They weren't writing about them. Right. So so that's the the, the basic um, distinction I'm aiming at um, and which you know the, the, the research paper uh, does not encompass at all, uh, but which um, most of the, the kind of writing that students do in school, particularly in, in their humanities classes and English classes, um, they, they, they don't do that sort of thing either, right? Um, and I think that the key thing to say there, and I think this is, you know, to, to your point about like what makes this kind of writing classical, um, it, it's because the, 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 the aim then is to, to keep students focused on the, you know, the fundamental questions of human life, right? Which is, is where we want their focus at all times, right? Um, when you're imitating um, a style um, your focus is on the um, the content, the 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 subject matter, and you're using that style as a way to um, into that subject matter, right? So my line when when I taught um, when I taught literature was was uh, I, I don't teach literature, right? I teach life, and I use literature to help me do that, right? Uh, so like when I'm reading Shakespeare with my students, I don't want them thinking about Shakespeare. I want them thinking about life with Shakespeare's help. Right. Right. Uh, so, so when when we're carrying out the writing assignment um, that you know that that follows from the reading, uh, we in some way we wanted to um, to uh, encompass that sort of task. Yeah, that's great. And so, what you're talking about is mimesis. So we're just mm -hmm. going to go back to Aristotle here, <laughs> the yeah. very Aristotelian and and mimetic teaching, and that, that just means imitation. And what I think can happen uh, for a teacher who may be new to classical education or may not fully understand what mimetic teaching is, it it's simply imitation. It's not complicated. There's really no steps towards how to imitate. It's just learning to imitate. A baby, that's how they learn. They learn by imitation. There's no like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven steps to imitate. They just imitate, right? And so as a teacher, you have to be very aware of what texts you're giving your students because you want to give them the best so that they imitate uh, that which is good and true and beautiful. And they have the opportunity to, to wrestle with the ideas that are in, in even the text so they can learn how to think about, oh, how, how, how does this text hit me, right, in a sense, but yet at the same time, you want to be careful, oh, I'm not inserting all my opinions, right? It, but you're wrestling with it. And this is why I always go back to narration being such an important part, especially uh, for learning how to write well. Because if they are always having an experience of retelling what they have read, as long as what they have read is good and true and beautiful and done well, and they're putting it into their own words using some of the vocabulary to express in their own words what they just read, they're actually learning how to think. And one of the things I see as a theme in your both of your essays is that what you're really wanting is that the student to learn how to think and read well, 
because they're not going to be able to write well if they can't do that. So expand on that. Yeah, and th- and that's a that's a, a really fundamental point, which maybe this might be the place to start. Well, you know, when, when we're talking about writing instruction, right? Uh, the we're we're talking about reading, right? I mean, there, there there's one basic way you learn how to write, and that's by reading a lot, right? Um, and and there's and there's no there's no surrogate for that, right? Um, so I you know I've, over the years I've had numerous um, conversations with parents who who recognize that their their students are struggling to write, um, and and you would you you would be able to tell that they those, those students were not always keeping up with the reading. And, you know, I think sometimes parents are looking for a kind of a, a quick and easy fix for that, mm-hmm. right? What is like, what is the the writing instruction you can provide for my my, my child at this point, at this juncture, um, to, to get them writing back? And and the answer is, right, is, is that's a more of, that's more of a long-term, uh, we're looking at more long-term solutions. They just have to read more, right? And, and there really is no way uh, of becoming a, um, an adept writer, uh, a writer with with uh, facility with the language, it, unless you've kind of imbibed the, those structures through lots and lots of reading, right? So when when we um, turn then to the the writing task uh, and um, and and the writing task that's that's related to the reading, in some way, we kind of we want that writing task uh, to enhance the 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 students' reading, right? Um, to 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 encourage them to go back or to invite them to go back to the text in some um, meaningful way and to to appropriate that text um, in in a, in a deeper way than they did, let's say, on a first and, and cursory reading. So in, in a sense, then, um, you know, I'm, I'm conceiving of the writing uh, assignment as an adjunct to the reading assignment, right? To, as, a, as a way of getting them back to to the text and, and reading um, more more astutely. Um, we have we have um, um, and we're doing some of this this sort of thing in, in at, at Lumen Gentium. We have a we have a fantastic young uh, teacher, a gentleman named Noah Thornburg, who's doing some some great stuff in this way, right? So he has one of the the assignments that he has his students do regularly um, is something called a, a metaphra- metaphrasis or metaphrasis. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, what that is 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 taking a a a, a work of a poetry or taking a, a passage of poetry and um, and paraphrasing it, right? Putting it um, into uh, into language of uh, of the student's own, and and what that requires the students to do is to go back to the text, um, look at it very carefully, weigh the you know the clauses and, and untangle the um, the the you know the syntax very carefully um, so that they can appropriate the the meaning there, the substance there um, into their own language. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's done another assignment. He uh, recently the, his students were studying um, Montaigne, the essays of Montaigne, uh, and rather than you know ask the students to um, you know analyze or you know say what's you know tell us tell me something about Montaigne's skeptical view of life or some, something along those lines, it was he invited the students to to, to choose a topic right to in, in the similar to the kinds of topics that that Montaigne writes about, um, and then to write about it. And and then and use Montaigne's style as a kind of uh, as a model for them, right? And and kind of as you know, as they got stuck uh, at a certain place, like he would tell, like go back to Montaigne. What would Montaigne do at this point, right? How would he proceed um, given this you know this this place that you've arrived at you, a, a, in your essay? Um, and so so that's a, a fantastic example of what what you were describing there in, in, of, of of Aristotelian mimesis, right? Going back to um, the masters and seeing how the masters um, fought through these questions in in their writing. Um, and trying to appropriate that, um, or trying to uh, invite the students to appropriate that, and and um, you know, we, we spoke earlier about this. Like, oftentimes, the the fear there is like, well, you're you're hindering the 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 development of a student, the student's own voice, right? right. Um, and there's something there, there's something kind of um, very quixotic about that, right? The idea that you know students, um, you know, 13 year olds spontaneously generate their own literary voice um, is 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 really um, the only the, the kind of thing that only, somebody who hasn't spent a lot of time with 13 year olds would 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 think, right? I mean, you need to provide structures, you need to provide them with models um, before they can can do that. And so what, but you have to provide them with lots of them, right? And, and right. eventually by trying on, uh, by trying on Montaigne's voice and then trying on Bacon's voice and then trying on uh, the voice of Hazlitt, right? And, and trying on all these different voices, that's when they begin to find their own, right? That, that's it's when they- true. You know, so um, so really, what, what happens when 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 it, it's the case that you have a, a a writer who's who is derivative or who is kind of clearly like imitative of one particular style or writer? Um, the problem there is they haven't done enough imitation, right? They've they've done too little. They've they've limited their imitation to one or two models rather than absorbed a, a whole range of them. I'm I'm, I'm having this epiphany, <laughs> so I'm thinking about how we often approach writing in this formulaic way where we look at it more as a tool. But writing is an art, 
And as an art, if we think about how the great artists learned art, they had teachers and they modeled after them. They imitated them. They learned how to paint by copying the greats. What happened then was once they learned the techniques of copying the greats, voila, they developed their own voice. Correct. Right. And so maybe some of these painters, you can tell by looking at them, oh, they must have studied under so-and-so. And it's the same with music. Oh, they must have studied under Beethoven or Mozart, you know. Right. And so they do pick up perhaps some of the nuances from their masters. But that's a good thing, yeah. right? There's nothing bad about that. That's a good thing. And and I, I, I think about um, how I think what that does, it's, it's kind of like the text is the apprentice to the student. I think what that does is it actually builds a confidence in the student because they start to wrestle with these trying to imitate and they were like, oh, I did a pretty good job. I Maybe I can write, right? And I've spoken with Dr. Greg Roper at University of Dallas about this. He wrote a really great book on imitation writing. can't remember what it's called right now, but I'll put it in the show notes. And uh, it, it's got some great little exercises in it that at least can help a teacher understand what this might look like, how you might approach teaching in this way. Um, I know he said some of the texts are a little bit um, difficult for some of the junior high, high school students, but I think it's, if a teacher were to get like his book and walk themselves through it, they could start to maybe have a practical example of how, how to teach in this way. Um, but I, I think you're really onto something. I think the idea that a classical school even needs a writing curriculum is questionable. Um, if you are passionate about teaching well and getting your students to be exposed to that, which is true and good and beautiful, and English is your topic that you're going to teach, this actually should be a more natural way of teaching that could open up a lot of joy for you, the teacher, and and your students. How, how would you encourage a, maybe a teacher who is wondering, well, how can I do this? Yeah, so I, I guess the the... The straightforward answer to that is um, the same way everybody's done it for centuries, right? It's, it, 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 as you said, there's nothing complicated about it, right? It, um, there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing complicated about the whole um, classical ed approach, right? It's um, in some ways, uh, you know, it, what we're trying to do is, is find really good books, read them with our students, um, and ask our students to, to, to think in, in serious and prolonged ways about them, right? Um, and so, um, you know what? Uh, what I have in mind here, like the, the, I mean, for instance, like the, the kinds of assignments that um, that I, I described are really—they're not ones that, um, as you said, require any kind of curricular materials. They're not ones that even need to be done in any kind of systematic fashion. But right, when you read something with your students um, that uh, that you know has the power to capture their their uh, their imagination, has the power to capture their attention, um, has something substantive to to say to them. Pause on that, right? Pause, let and let them um, work through that, right? Let them paraphrase it, right? Let them. Um, Right, let them imitate it, right? Let them um, write something. When, when you um, when you read a sonnet, right? Or you read, you know, you're going through some Shakespeare sonnets and, and you're seeing the kids respond to it. Let them write a sonnet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, don't make them write, a, you know, an analysis of, of the sonnets in, in order to squeeze um, the life and the, the joy of that, that, that right. task of, re- of writing a sonnet. Get them to write a sonnet and then let them, and then let them experience um, the, the value of that literature from the inside, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like, so, so one that, I mean, if you want to, um, if you want to teach uh, a student to appreciate Shakespeare, or you want to teach you want to teach an adult um, to, to appreciate Shakespeare, have them write a couple lines of iambic pentameter, right? Find right. the scenes. See how hard that is, right? See, see, and 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 have some sense of the, um, you know, the skill and the artifice that's engaged, but also like, you know, the the what what that's about, right? How you're trying to find a kind of balanced um, and sonorous language that is, um, in some way, elevated above the the language of the quotidian, right? And why right. why you would do that? Like, what kind of um, intellectual and spiritual instincts are aroused in the process of doing that? And and if you do that, and then you go back to Shakespeare, it'll make a whole lot more sense, and you'll and you'll be able to appreciate again now from the inside, right? Um, so I, I think you know one one basic thing I think is is worth um, pointing out at this point is like you know again. When we, when we think about what we're like trying to do in general, right, as classical educators, right, I, I think you know, in some sense, we're we're trying to um, invite our students into a into a hallowed tradition, right, a tradition that spans centuries and millennia, right, and we're trying to um, 
invite them to become part of that tradition, not to study it, right? Not to, to know about it or to be um, scholars of it, but to be partakers of it, right? I love um, that. Yeah, that's what a classical education is supposed to be. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so like, again, like why, why I tell my students um, in, in that poetry class, right. It, you know, they, they read poetry in their, in their humanities class and their other classes. Right. And, and there they do study it a little bit more like from a scholarly approach, right. To try and make sense of it. But like in poetry class, again, we'll read a sonnet. We'll talk about the structure of sonnet. And then it's like, okay, go write a sonnet. All right. Go, exactly. Go, go do this thing. Um, and, and why I tell them is like, okay, in this class, when you study Shakespeare, you're not studying him as a scholar, you're studying him as a peer. Right. You're trying to do the sort of thing that he does. I love that. I love that you're telling them that that he's a friend. Yeah. Yes. You're rubbing elbows with 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 Shakespeare and with with Yates. And and you're you're becoming part of the tradition that they that they are. That's um, so beautiful. Okay, I'm just going to say it. I say it on every podcast. This is very, very Charlotte Mason (laughs) to just throw that in there for anyone who hasn't read her. This is exactly what she's saying in her philosophy of education. All of all of it. Any Charlotte Mason fans out there, you're going to be shouting hallelujah for this, this interview. Um, so I, I have one more question, I think, kind of in regard to this down with the essay. And then I want sure. to move into the poetic, the poetic idea, a little more. Po- You've been talking about poetic, but I kind of want to sure, get sure. more into it. So, but um, I, I love the art of rhetoric. And so I want you to talk a little bit about uh how it's opposed to this research paper. How is the art of rhetoric? We've kind of been saying that. I'm going to go a little deeper into it. And I also want you to talk about, is there a a justification for doing both? Like, what about the science teacher assigning a research project? Is that okay? Are you just more specifically addressing that the English teacher shouldn't be so focused on this? Tell tell us more in that realm. Yeah, and that's a good, it's a good uh, a good point to make and a good qualifi- qualification I should make, um, which is that, yeah, I am primarily talking about writing in, in a humanities um, setting. Um, and in fact, actually, part of my, my um, a big part of my uh, an- antipathy towards the, uh, the research model is that it is kind of a scientific model, right, that's kind of smuggled mm-hmm. into, into humanities study, right? So, I mean, so if you think about, it, right, the... Uh, you know the the idea of, of having a thesis or a hypothesis, which then gets proved through evidence, um, is is a very kind of scientific model, and and it really doesn't um, apply in in a humanity setting where the idea of proof um, is not really applicable, right? Um, it's not really the, um, the the proper model for for understanding. Um, it's um, the and and the idea of of, of evidence. Uh, as opposed to argumentation, um, is also not really. Um, a proper model for understanding the use of sources uh, in, a, in a humanistic way. So yeah, so in a science in, in a science um, setting, it, yes, it, it, the the research um, paper can provide a uh, a more um, suitable model. Though even there, I wonder. You know, I mean, if you look at um, there's some some great science writing that doesn't look anything like a research paper, right? If anybody's read like like Annie Dillard's Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, um, or like some of the essays of Richard Feynman on like modern physics, right? They they actually don't look like research paper that model at all either. Um, so I'll kind of defer to um, the science teachers on that one. But yeah, I, I, I should um, I, I should make it clear. I'm, I'm I'm really talking about writing in a humanities setting. Um, so in that. Um, in that saying, so what, like, why is it different from, you know, how does the, the research approach differ from a, a, a rhetorical um, approach? So I'm going to, um, here, I'll, I'm, I'll shock you, Adrian, and, and maybe shock some of your readers here um, by citing the, uh, the college board as a, mm. uh, as a source uh, of, of doing, of doing something right here, right? Of providing us with, with a kind of model, right? Um which, which it's not the sort of thing classical educators typically do, right? But um, for years, I used to teach the AP Lang class, right? The AP Language and, and uh, Composition class, which was like a rhetoric class, right? Um, and on the test for the AP Lang, there was, they had, the students had to write three essays. One of them was called a synthesis essay. And the goal of the, the synthesis essay, um, what they did, they gave the students a, a prompt, um, some kind of, some question. The questions actually were, could, off, many years were, were quite interesting and, and, um, and ones that students could kind of ruminate on fruitfully, I thought. Um, and then they would give them six sources that they had to read. And the, the, uh, the sources represented a variety of positions on that question, 
right? And the, the, um, the goal, the, the, the judging criteria of the essay required the students to, um, to navigate their way through a panoply of perspectives on that question, right? So in other words, they were not um, being asked to provide a thesis and then go look in for support for that thesis in the sources, right? Ah, Which if you think interesting. It's, it, if you think about it, that's really just a kind of model for special pleading, right? Like, I think this, I'm going to go find everybody who agrees with me on this and cite them and then declare that my thesis has been proven, right? Right. Um, the, the synthesis essay asked the students actually to navigate through the variety of perspectives and say, okay, you know, here's, and, and first of all, like, and to stake out their position on the question itself, right? So they were right. I mean, the, the, primus, the primary thing they were doing was not writing about, um, the, the sources, they were writing in, in response to the question, they were writing about the question. And then they were using the sources to kind of elaborate and delineate their own position on that. So they, you know, they would go to one source and say, this person has, has made this point, I agree, you know, this, this elaborates the point I'm trying to make. This person kind of agrees, but not really because he's saying this, uh, but this person, she's totally off base and, and this is what, right? So, um, so you kind of navigate your way through the, um, all the different perspectives on this question to, um, to delineate your own, your own position. And in my mind, um, again, it's you, it's not often that as classical educators are going to say like the, the college board is providing us a kind of model, but that is a kind of, to me, that that does represent a model of how you would use sources in writing, right? And and, and, um, and I don't think all writing requires sources, um, but when we want students to use sources in their writing, that's the that's the way I think we want them to, to use them, um, because in that way, they're, they're engaging um, with the kind of the, the, the community of thought um, on any right. given question. And that's what it means, I think, to be um, to be writing in a rhetorical mode, right? Um, when you're writing research, right? When you're when you're writing um, in that in that mode, right? You are writing in you're in, invited in, in some kind of subtle way. Um, and I don't know, you know, I, I might be overstating the case a, a bit, but right, in some way, you are being invited to to write as an expert, right? You've done the research, you've gained the data right. on this point, right? And so you're addressing your reader as somebody who has a kind of knowledge um, that the reader is lacking, right? Um, and there is this, there, there is a, a kind of um, a habit, uh, it, it's just in our public discourse of people talking like that, of people yeah. addressing the public like that, right? From a um, from the stance of, of the expert, right? Um, and I, I, I'm not blaming that all on, on, on the research paper, but I, I think that it's it's constant with that um, with that assignment. Whereas in, in the rhetorical mode, you're just being asked to write as one citizen or as one member of the community to other members of the community, thinking through alongside them um, the, the the parameters of the question at hand, right? Um, so I think that's that's the main um, benefit, I think, of, of inviting students to write in the rhetorical mode, right? So when, when the... Um, one of the strangest experiences I had, um, you know, it was early on in my uh, in my my teaching career. I was I, I learned about the, the rhetorical tradition. I was trying to kind of adopt some of the the, the practices into um, into my own instruction. And I um, I looked at. I remember reading Quintilian. Mm -hmm. um, I read this, uh, the the Ad Herenium, which is. Um, mm. Thought to Cicero? be by Cicero, but yeah, yeah. I, I think the the the, the authorship there is, is debatable. But um, but then I picked up Aristotle's rhetoric. Right? Yeah. And I thought there would be stuff about writing in there. And it's it's largely a, a work of psychology, right? Um, old people will respond to certain arguments this way, and young people will respond this way, right? Um, and people of this status will... And I, I was reading, I'm like, you know, Aristotle, when, when are we going to get to the writing instruction, right? But then I, I realized, like, much later, actually, I realized um, what, what he was getting at there was, like, you can't argue um, without some kind of basic... You can't, you can't argue on human issues on, on issues that have a bearing on human life without a profound understanding of human nature right you, right. you, cannot, you cannot persuade you cannot um, enlighten um, the, the the minds of, of other persons without a, a profound understanding of of personhood right um, and so so again I think that's that's the importance of, of working in, in the, the rhetorical mode and that's why we call these humanities courses yes yes and that's why you said earlier, we, we, we need to be writing about, uh, what did you say, about hu human living ideas, not about um, writing about other writing. Right. But like actually coming up with ideas. 
and responses to those ideas, right? right. Um, as we transition into some principles for classical writing program, I think it's a great idea for me to read one of my favorite poems that I do at a lot of my teacher trainings, sure. because I think it this poem bridges us into the next topic, but it also summarizes exactly everything you said. This poem is called Introduction to Poetry by Billy Collins. And he says, I asked them to take a poem and hold it up to the light like a color slide or press it against, or press an ear against its hive. I say, drop a mouse into a poem and watch him probe his way out or walk inside the poem's room and feel the walls for a light switch. I want them to water ski across the surface of a poem, waving at the author, author's name on the shore. But all they want to do is tie the poem to a chair with rope and torture a confession out of it. They begin beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. And I just adore that poem and use it at teacher training. We read it three times and I ask, what's your favorite part of the poem and why? And what does this tell us about teaching poetry? Yeah, you know, it's fine. So I used to, a friend of mine and, and myself used to run um, professional development seminars for English teachers um, nearby here uh, and um, primarily focus on poetry. And my friend would always start our seminars with, with that poem. Because it's so profound. The message yeah. is so perfect. <laughs> yeah. You actually yeah. said a few things in your, in your last, uh, it, it, you, oh, I don't know, 20 minutes ago, you said something that was almost exactly from the poem. I was like, oh my gosh, that's, that's exactly what that poem says. <laughs> Yeah, and I, think, um, I, think I mentioned this in like in one of our earlier conversations. There, there's a there's an essay floating around the ether somewhere um, by the poet Dana Joya, where he writes about um, how a, a focus on and analyzing poetry and, and and having that be the primary response to poetry um, has has drained the life out. And, and a big a large reason why people don't really love poetry anymore is that they they've associate with that task of analysis um, rather than just you know mere appreciation, um, not mere not not all mere, um, but but appreciation. Um, and and I think he's he's onto something there. Well, right. So that that bridges me into what we're gonna go into with your your next essay you kind of say the same thing um explain why a poetic approach to teaching writing is actually classical yeah so so one of the things i mentioned in in, in the essay that you, you mentioned earlier right so what i remember like as an english student right as, a, as, a, as an english major right it, like it was a kind of um a basic dictum that poetry was kind of the preeminent form of writing, right? It was kind of or, or the paradigmatic form of writing, right? That in some way, um, it was kind of the most basic and even primal um, literary expression of uh, of our, our most initial and basic responses to, to human experience, right? And there's um, there's a lot of like there's a lot of uh, philosophical um, reflection on that point. Like if anybody, have you ever read like um. Uh, the the new science by uh, Jean Baptiste Vico right that's his like that's his whole um his whole argument right that um in some way civilization itself grows out of like the poetic impulse right that it begins mm -hmm. uh, as an expression of uh, of the, this drive towards creation this drive towards um building up a, a social civil world um in, in which you know our, our souls um can be at home and so there's a, there's a sense um and then and of course then the other uh, on the other hand it's like Poetry is also kind of um, the form of writing that makes the most use of the resources of language, right? That exploits um, the the um, the figurative um, and syntactical resources of language um, to their most um, exhaustive uh, extent, right? And, and so, in, in in both of those ways, and poetry um, is kind of um, paradigmatic, kind of prime primary, um, and and all other forms of writing are, are, are kind of derivative. And if you go back, you know, if you, off, you know, if you look at the the earliest writing that survived from a lot of cultures and civilizations around the world it is quite often poetic right um and and, and so so that's some evidence um of the 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 kind of basic or, or fundamental nature of poetry but then you know so so that was like what i learned as an english major right and then um going into the english classroom in school right um what we were constantly asking our students to do was was write essays right um was not um to uh, to do this kind of basic and fundamental kind of writing, um, but actually to do writing that was downstream or derivative of that, right? Um, which is uh, it, which is not a, an, an argument against essay writing, right? Um, or, um, or or about the importance of, of, of essay writing, um, but uh, a, a, a an argument or um, I guess I want to say uh, a, an expression of um, hesitation about teaching the essay um, in isolation from the, the the poetic sources uh that that 
ought to give it ought to give it life, right? So um, a sense of play, uh, a, a, even an aesthetic uh, sensibility um, that is kind of th that we associate with poetry. I think that that's something that gets totally shunted aside when we ask our students to do the kind of writing that they typically do in school. Um, and as a matter of fact, like that's that's the only kind of thing that will make the the task of writing appealing to students, right? So again, like as, as classical educators, like we put a lot of emphasis on students um, learning to take delight in their studies, right? Which is not the same thing as as um, as um, doing doing things in a kind of carefree or um, or or. Um, or a way with low standards, or, or it's it's to to train the students to actually find a joy in the hard work of study. All right, um, and when so when it comes to writing, one of the key ways that you do that is is um, by developing a sense of play, by developing a delight in the texture of a sentence, right? By um, having a, a, the 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 joy of creating character, of creating voice, of creating style. All right, um, and if you take that away from them completely. If you deprive them of that experience completely, they're bound to find the writing task onerous. And, and of course, most students these days do find it. And 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 that's not to say I don't want to be, um, you know, uh, I don't want to sound too idealistic about this, right? I mean, the writing is hard and students will find it difficult and there's no magic wand to make that go away. But insofar as we can make it more appealing and insofar as we can make it less onerous, the way to do that is by engaging their sense of play. They're engaging their, um, their, their sense of, 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 of their aesthetic sensibility. And if you don't do that at all. Right. And it should be do it, it it shouldn't be just something done in K5. This yes. needs to be yes. done all the way through to the end. And yes. in fact, I, I would just challenge some uh boards, uh headmasters, teachers, administrators. If you on your classical school website claim that you are giving your students an education in truth, goodness, and beauty then this is how you should be teaching. Because what you said, you said they should be training them in the joy of creating. And if you're not doing that, then you have not been embracing what beauty means. Correct. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm very glad you said that because that um, I think there is a sense, even I, I, probably somewhere in the back of my mind, I probably have this sense as well, right? That you know, um, it is early on, right, in the elementary stages when you are trying to engage their sense of play, right? That you're, uh, and that you know that kind of wanes as time goes on, and then um, you know they get to high school, it's down to the you know the hard work of uh, of high school. And there's something to that, right? I mean, there, we we recognize, right? There there is a way you adjust your um, your instruction as as students progress, and and um, the tasks become um, significantly more more difficult as they progress and um and, and students can can um find that uh to be you know can, it, there there is a way in which um the the tasks grow harder and students can um become more and more um frustrated with with some of the tasks put in front of them as time goes on but but again the the, the response to that as educators is to preserve some of that that sense of play right as, as students as, as they progress even into high school even beyond right i mean so like again even in college like where uh again like academic writing um, is kind of the, the, the paradigm, um, which is this kind of bloodless and lifeless kind of writing, um, which again, doesn't match up with any of the kind of writing that any of us enjoy reading. Like the, that, that article that you mentioned before was actually written in response to a, a, an article by a, another scholar who was writing about like how much he hated doing academic writing as a professor, right? Not as a student, but, but as a <laughs> professor, right? Um, so like, that's not even a model for um, what real scholarship would look like. And certainly like when we go back to like, if we read somebody like Montaigne or we read somebody like Rabelais or, um, or Sir Thomas Brown, like that their writing doesn't look anything like, you know, the, the kind of academic writing that, that comes out. So there, there's a that's sense true. of play. There's a sense of um, of uh, of kind of, of vitality, of vibrancy, right? Of playing yeah. with the language, playing with ideas, playing with experience, and and, and doing so in a, in a kind of joyful way. Um, and and you know, I, that's the kind of um, writing that we want to prepare our students to do. Um, and it's it doesn't stop in, um, uh, yeah. in it, it doesn't stop in, in elementary school. It really it doesn't stop uh, at Ever. any point in, in a in an intelligent person's life. You're right. In fact, I'm thinking like I immediately was thinking, oh, some of the authors that we can tell never stopped playing would be like Mark Twain, yeah. George MacDonald, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien. They never stopped playing with language and writing. Right. But then again, I never even realized until you just said Montaigne. I was like, oh, even the philosophers, in some sense, their writing is so beautiful and appealing to us because they're playing with ideas. 
they're they're wrestling with them they're juggling with these ideas and tossing them around and letting us kind of peek into their thoughts about those ideas yeah and it's interesting yeah. So I think that's something like, you know, that is a, a kind of basically poetic drive, right? That, that, does, sure. that, that um, kind of the, the play drive as Schiller uh, described it, right? The, this yeah. drive to create, um, this drive to, to kind of bring, um, bring new structures of thought into the world. And that's kind of what I'm, what I'm suggesting, like, even when they're writing essays, something like that should be going on. Yeah. In fact, I had never read Schiller and I am listening right now to this wonderful great the great courses you've heard of the great courses yep, okay so i'm yep. listening to one that i bought on audio audible called from plato to postmodernism understanding the essence of literature and role of the author led by professor lou marcos whom i love he's sure, been on sure. our show and i've actually emailed him and said this is such an amazing lecture series i need to have you on the podcast like on eight episodes to talk about this right we're going to have him on maybe maybe two more to talk about this but he talks about schiller and the the play drive. And it's just so brilliant. And I'm like, Oh, we need to have you on the podcast to talk about what does this look like in the classroom? And I think you're, you're kind of sharing it here. Yeah. Uh, And and this, again, this is like an important qualification to make, right? Because there's, there's a way of, of, of hearing that, that is, um, that would not be what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say, right? The, um, there's a way of hearing like that student should be playing in the classroom, um, right. which sounds like unrigorous. Um, it does. Like, like unschooling. Not, <laughs> yes, right. So, like, so again, like, so Schiller is is a very good um, response to that, right? Um, because his the idea there behind the play drive is like we like when we play, right? When we exercise that creative freedom. We always do so in structured ways, right? Yes. Um, and I, think he, and he, and I think he takes some of that from from Kant, but but like the idea is like yes. like we we don't like when we play a game, right? The first thing we do is we set up the rules, right? Um, right. Kids, right. Um, so we're never just like running like haphazardly around, um, you know, at least you know past a certain age, right? But we we set up certain rules. We we um, we play in structured ways. So like poetry is is um, is, is kind of the preeminent example of this, right? When we um, when we want to express our strong emotions in response to some activity, um, we don't just, we really don't just, just throw out words, right? We look for the right structure for those thoughts, for those emotions. We look for the, 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 the linguistic structure that's going to serve right. as the proper um, vehicle for the expression of those words. And that's why it's, it's really um, kind of um, poisonous and, and, and problematic when, when, when teachers instruct their, their students to do that sort of thing, right? To just throw out your word, right? Just say whatever you think. Um, about yeah, this, this nonchalant creative writing. Yes, write exactly. whatever you want in your journal. Right, just express yeah. yourself. It's the same thing like in art classes when, you know, they're, they're, instead of teaching them to, to draw in a kind of formal way, it's just like throw the paint on the on the, the, the page however you want, right? Yeah, this is a like, very modern, postmodern. It is. <laughs> it is. And it's very, it's actually very, um, uh, it's very hostile to some very profound instincts that we have in us, which, which again, like is, is, is very much what Schiller is, is reflecting on there is like, like we don't we actually don't create like that right we don't um want to create like that we have a drive to create but we have a drive to create a kind of structured um a structured world right so so the um one of the the, the figures I mentioned one of the authors I mentioned in, um I think it was the, in the in the second essay um who again is probably not the kind of author I think um lots of uh classical educators would think of um but a a, a writer named Francis Christensen um in the mm-hmm. in the 60s wrote an article um let me try to get this uh, the, the title right I think the, the generative towards a generative rhetoric of the sentence and and um one of your your sharp listeners could, could look that up and correct me if I got that wrong but we'll, we'll, but, we'll put it in the show notes yeah sure sure so but the um his basic point there is like when when you're Teaching students to write, the very, very basic thing that you're doing, that you're asking them to do, is to um, is a, is a process of addition. He puts it right um, to to say more, right? So like they write about um, even like even if they're writing about text, right? They they say this, you know, the 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 character um, felt this, and and you're saying, well, well, elaborate on that. Tell me more, or, or give me an example, right? Say more about that, right? Um, or you know, they're they're writing a poem, and and they they you know they wrote write some lines. You say, well, there you need a, a a metaphor to kind of convey, like say more here, right? So so his basic point is like you're always trying the the basic thing you're trying to to drive students to do um is to to say more to elaborate to to expand right. and create um and his point is that what what we want to do and he, he's thinking really at primarily at the level of the sentence but we want to give them generative structures right ways of saying more but saying more in a kind of structured manner right not just kind of blurting like not we're not trying to get them to just blur right. things, but we want to give them the capacity to um 
to build upon their thoughts in structured ways. And he talks about, like, he has a, a certain kind of syntax in mind, um, which I, I might depart from him a little bit on, on that. Um, but but he said, you know, you give the students this kind of syntax and you say, you know, uh, put a clause here, put a prepositional phrase here. And in do, and, and adding that grammatical structure, um, you're, you're inviting them to create Right to to say more, right to to generate an idea, but you're but they're doing so in a kind of structured manner, and you can take that insight, I think, and expand it all the way up from the level of the sentence to the level of the paragraph to the level of the mm -hmm. argument as a whole, and like you know, you can take things like Aristotle's categories, and you can look at them as ways of saying more, right, of of but saying right. more. A structured way, right? Say more about this thing. Um, say more about this event, the when and the where of it, right? Um, or okay. you can take the top, the rhetorical topics, right? Cause and effect, comparison, and you can say, okay, say more, but say it in this kind of structured way. So again, the um, right. it's all this basic poetic drive towards structured creation um, is is what I have in mind um, and what I'm uh, espousing as as a kind of um, root uh, approach to to writing. I love it. I, I want to talk to some teachers here who are thinking, this sounds all great. How do I do this? Okay. So in my mind, with all the years I've been training teachers and working through this, pretty much the philosophy that I work through is the same. So for K-5, the exposure to a lot of poetry and a lot of stories that are well-written and having them narrate out loud, like this is the foundation right here, because then when they get to the point where they can take and write their narrations and begin, they have a structure because they've been exposed to the structure of beautiful poems and beautiful stories. And so it's not like it's a structure they've analyzed, but it's a structure they've been immersed in. Yes. And because they've been immersed in it, they will then be able to begin um, playing with it, I guess, if you will, uh, and playing with those structures. And, and so like, I'm a fan of start reading Shakespeare, beautiful stories of Shakespeare for children um, when they're in like third, fourth grade and all the way up through. And then by the time they get to seven, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, they're familiar with the plot stories and structures of Shakespeare from the Mary and Charles Lamb's version, which is written beautifully. And then it's, and then they can tackle the real Shakespeare middle school. And guess what? By the time they're in ninth grade, you could have them, easily write something in the style and structure of Shakespeare yeah. and some of the sonnets, reading those sonnets in middle school, many of them, reading them, reading them, just playing with them. And then again, easily, it's not hard for them. It becomes a very easy organic transition for these students so that they are now being trained in the joy of creating yeah. because they've been immersed in the beauty of, of these, this language for, for so many years and instead of drilling this out of them just allowing them to experience the beauty of it in reading it narrating it acting it out in their narrations fables i mean there's so much you can do with fables in every grade i mean they're simple you can have those those are easy to imitate easy to play with and structure act them out in class you know, then re rewrite them with different characters in a different setting in the same style as learning how to imitate a style. It's very easy with, I think, poetry. And especially if you've been reading, like, say, in third third grade, you've got three or four major poets you're reading. And then in fourth grade, you've got three or four major poets. Reading. You become familiar with the style of those poets. So then it becomes not that hard to say, write me a retelling uh, from something they've learned in history class, but yeah. write it in the style of Wordsworth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they actually can do it because they 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 know Wordsworth. They've been immersed in it, and I think this is to me what a real beautiful education in the classical tradition really looks like. Yeah, and I think it's worth. I mean, it's worth pointing out, right? We you know to ask students to write in the style of Wordsworth is not to suppose that they're going to write poems that come out as good as Wordsworth, right? Right, exactly. Um, and, and nor is that nor is that necessary, right? Um, once in a while, you, you do get a gem, right? You do get one that, that you, you say, wow, right? That, that really is um, something on, 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 on par with some um, some some outstanding poetry. But but most of the time, it's it's um, it's passable, right? Which is exactly what it should be. Because the, the task is, I mean, the um, the goal is not to uh, for the students to create something that's um you know that that is attains some level of perfection the the um the the value of that that 
practice is is internal to the practice itself, right? Um, the 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 practice of of uh, of trying to create harmonious language, of trying to order your thoughts um, and order your response to the world such that you maintain um, the 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 capacity uh, to to um, to transcend the um, the chaos and the um, the discord of experience, um, and to to appropriate it from a perspective that, that in some ways transcends that that chaos and discord in the way that uh, that poet tries to do to have to to, to just engage in that practice um, nourishes intellectual instincts that are that have a value in and of themselves, whether or not the poem comes out looking good on the other end. Right. So one of my um, my favorite stories um, is the in uh, in. In, in China, in fact, um, under I believe it was the the, the Ming Dynasty, right? Um, and, and again, one of your I know you have a, a sharp audience. I'm sure I'm sure somebody's going to correct me on that, but I think that, that was the right dynasty, right? Um, that there you know uh, there was ex there were examinations that were administered um, for entry into the civil service. All right. I um, mean, they were very intense and, and people had to travel uh, to the capital and would spend days um, did mostly kind of displaying their, their command of the Confucian classics. Right. Uh, but one of the tasks that they were required um, to, to, to do was write a poem. Right. They, they had, right. They had, I mean, just, it's funny to think about, right. Imagine like what our federal bureaucracy would look like um, if everybody had to write a passable sonnet to, you know, to, to get a job at the department of energy. Right. Um, if you want to, if you want to shrink government, that would that would be one way one way to do it very quickly, right? But, um, but but the idea there is like that none of, none of those students were writing um, anything that was was bound to be anthologized or, or was going to be considered. But it was just right. there was a certain kind of um, attainment, right? That was um, that that students were expected to display in their command of a, of a certain kind of formal writing. And, and in the West, of course, there, there's, um, there's plenty of, of examples of that sort of thing. I mean, for, for centuries, right. Being able to write, you know, a decent, um, so a few decent quatrains about, you know, the woman that you were in love with was, was just kind of a, a social attainment, right. A social expectation. Um, and, and very little of that was, um, you know, worthy of preservation or, or, um, or what would uh, qualify as a, as a kind of hallmark of the art, but it was, it was what, was um, gained through the the practice of writing that sort of thing. That was the aim of writing that sort of thing, and and the idea that you know there was a kind of um, balance or um, composure to the soul that was nurtured or cultivated through the practice of writing poetry um, was 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 the goal of writing poetry, right? Uh, for for most students, I love this. I I think. I want to close our podcast episode with rereading the quote I opened with, and then I want to ask you about your favorite book or quote. Sure. So I'm going to close our conversation by rereading this quote because it might make more sense now. You said, a good writer is one who is conversant with his sources, who thinks about life's perennial mysteries alongside them, and invites his reader into the polyphonous discussion he is already undertaking with his sources. A good high school writing assignment is one that invigorates just such a discussion. We do not want our students to write about books, but to write about life, using books to expand and synthesize their thoughts. How far removed is the ubiquitous research paper from any such conception? And I think our, our, our listeners will now understand what that means. I really appreciate that you uh, just kind of like walked us through all of this. It's so, it's so important to the conversation. Um, so I'm going to close by asking you, what is a quote from a book that has had a huge impact on you or sure. what book do you wish you had read sooner in your life? Sure. Yeah. So I, I pulled out, um, a quote that I've, I've used multiple times before. So at the, at the risk of, um, uh, being repetitive here, uh, it's just, just because it, it had such a, a clear bearing on this conversation. I, I couldn't, um, I couldn't think of another quote that was uh, quite as, as as appropriate. Um, so, and, and I think it, it it as we kind of conclude here, it, it's a quote that maybe will allow me to to kind of put this discussion of writing in in the in the, the context of um, some of the larger aims of of, of classical education. Um, so it comes from uh, a writer named Hugh Blair. Uh, he was um, a uh, Professor of rhetoric in the 18th century. He was part of the um, the Johnson Circle, um, that uh, that that group. Um, he uh, wrote a work called Lectures on on Rhetoric and and Bell Letters. Uh, and in the first of those those lectures, there's a, a paragraph um, that I think is is germane here. So uh, I'll I'll read this one. And and again, I've uh, I've quoted it numerous times in, in numerous essays. So um, if 
if there's any listeners who who've read my essays and, and have come across this and think I'm being repetitive, I'll, I'll apologize uh, in advance. But um, Blair writes, all that regards the study of eloquence and composition merits the higher attention upon this account that is intimately connected with the improvement of our intellectual powers. For I must be allowed to say that when we are employed after a proper manner in the study of, of composition, we are cultivating reason itself. True rhetoric and sound logic are very nearly allied. The study of arranging and expressing our thoughts with, with propriety teaches to think as well as to speak accurately. By putting our sentiments into words, we always conceive them more distinctly. Everyone who has the slightest acquaintance with composition knows that when he expresses himself ill on any subject, when his arrangement is loose and his sentences become feeble, the defects of his style can, almost on every occasion, be traced back to his indistinct conception of the subject. So close is the connection between thoughts and the words in which they are clothed. So the I I, I love that quote for, for for many reasons, right? But the the basic reason that um, the, as he points out, right, in teaching writing, right, we, we've been talking about teaching writing this whole time. Um, but what we're really talking about is, is thinking, right? Teaching thinking, teaching thought, mm -hmm. right? And, and writing is, to my mind, the um, the the practice that we do with students that is the most efficacious practice for teaching thinking, right? But it's specifically thinking about human life and human experience and the parameters of human life and human experience, the moral, um, the spiritual, the intellectual, and aesthetic dimensions of human experience. And writing and language itself and all the um, the linguistic practices um, that we do in in a classical uh, a classical school are all aimed towards teaching our students to reason specifically about human things, about human life, right? Um, and I, I think that's a, it's an important point to, to make because I think for myself and I think for, for you and for, for many people in, in the classical education movement, right? The, the, the task that I, I think we conceive ourselves as engaged in is not merely one of school reform, right? Um, it, it, that's part of it, right? That's, that's part of what we're doing and, and, and God knows our, our schools need reform. Right. Um, but I think, you know, I think all of us or many of us have a sense that, you know, we're we're living in a period that needs something quite a bit more. Right. That we're living in a, in a period of uh, of great cultural and spiritual deprivation. Um, we're living um, through a, 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 you know, a, a real crisis of of, of civilization. Right. Um, and and what we're doing in, in classical education is planting some seeds that can that can really sprout into something more like um, the 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 beginnings of something like a renewal of, of, of civilized mm -hmm. society, right? Of civil society, right? Um, and you know, there's there's a very long story to be told about how we got here and and what you know what's um, what's led to the, um, the 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 deprivation that we're we're all sensing uh, around us. But in some some very kind of broad way, and and, and you, you know, you'd have to invite me back for for another episode to to kind of lay all this out. But in some some very broad way, um, you know, I, I think what's what's happened is we've we've been convinced or we've come to convince ourselves that we can reason or think about human life through the same methods and the same approaches that we can think about anything else, right? That the same mm -hmm. methodologies, the same approaches, um, the same intellectual structures um, that we apply, that we can apply to any other form of existence are applicable to, to making sense of, of human existence. And I think, you know, as, um, as students and teachers of the humanities specifically, I think the humanities rest upon a bedrock commitment that the human must be um, understood and comprehended in specifically human terms, right? That um, that the study of, of uh, the humanities um, is a study of what is uniquely human um, and that it, the, the, the sorts of methodologies um, and approaches that are required to, to understanding the moral and, and, and spiritual dimensions of human life are not the, the, the approaches and methodologies that are appropriate to understanding, um, you know, biological or physical life um, as such, right? Um, and so the, 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 the unique human capacity um, the the um, the instrument, the vehicle um, into the the uh, and the source of the 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 uniquely human, social, civil, religious world 
is language, right? That's that's the unique right. capacity in us. And and by training a capacity in language, um, by training a facility in language, we are um, in, in inculcating in students the ability to think about human life in the only terms, through the only approach and methodology that can make sense of human life. And so, so you know, as we talk about writing, as we conclude our um, our conversation about writing, I think that's an important um, point to to um, to read to, to to make as as we conclude. I think, Mark, that what you just said is exactly what David Hicks is saying in Norms and Nobility. Absolutely. And that's why Norms and Nobility, that's why we keep talking about Norms and Nobility in the classical ed world. We all talk about this is like one of the most important seminal works you could possibly read if you want to understand classical education. It's exactly, I mean, you summarized a lot of what he's saying is, is that. That's yeah, that's fine. I have I have some stuff, uh, some references to Hicks in my notes here, which we didn't get to. But yes, I mean, his, um, even just his uh, one one of the things that when I first read his work, there was uh, I guess a little bit surprised to me is the emphasis on on style. He, he refers repeatedly yes. to style and to cultivating style. And students, and he's he's not even specifically referring to that um, in terms of writing, but just in in terms of the way students think, think, uh, and yeah. how they live, the choices, they everything. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yes, yeah, and that's. Yeah. And that goes to, to again, the um, the idea that, you know, that's something that can only be cultivated uh, through a, an appreciation of what is unique um, to the, the, you know, the style um, capable natures of human beings. That's right. Uh, and bringing out the good and the true and the beautiful, all yeah. three, not just yeah. the good, not just the true, not just the beautiful, but they have to be well-ordered and working together. And I often feel like people tend to focus more on truth in classical schools and logic and truth and the beauty is just, and, and we see it in a lot of the architecture of the schools even, which is sad. And I, I so yeah, that's a whole architecture is another couple podcasts. podcasts. Right. <laughs> yes. I, I have to say like, so my first experience with, with classical education, like, so when I visited, you know, the first couple of classical schools, one of the, one of the very first things I noticed and one of the very first differences was just the, 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 pictures on the walls right yes um, the way know, you so, decorate your school right yeah, yeah. yeah. so that i mean so there, there's a lot i think there's a lot of folks out there who get that right? because we're shaping the tastes we're cultivating yeah. their thoughts and it needs to be with the good and the true and the beautiful yeah and there is a truth to beauty <laughs> so Absolutely. again yeah. and I, well i had an episode on that with uh, dr matthew post on beauty and uh, i need to do more topics on beauty because it's such a foundational part that I think is lacking in a lot of schools. I think a lot of people are getting it though, and they're starting to bring it back in. I think so. I think and, so. And then, but poetry is probably the best, biggest, most important means of beginning to bring playing with poetry is the beginning to bring beauty back into, into the pedagogy for sure. So, for sure. Absolutely. well, thank you. This was great. And I encourage our readers to subscribe to your Substack, uh, the classical corner and uh, follow your writings because I think you've got some provocative ideas that are right in line with what I'm trying to help our listeners understand as well. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks for having me on. This is a lot of yep. fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can get involved in a few ways. There's a Facebook page where we actively discuss the ideas around classical education. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash classical education. And if 